0: Where did the truth go and hide in politics? Well, it's time to find it and bring it back. Welcome to No Truth Politics, where you know truth or you have no truth. I'm your host, Mr. Misunderstood, and I'll be having the distinct privilege and honor of helping you rip the Band-Aid off when it comes to all things truth in politics today. As always, to stay up-to-date with all things No Truth Politics, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. To help support us here financially, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or episode description. And once you're on the website, click on support. Well, without further ado... Buckle up and get ready, because it's time to rip the Band-Aid off so the truth can set you free. Welcome back to the program. This week's episode, we're firing this thing up this week. Oh, we're going to, it's lightning, it's camera, it's action, it's all the thrills and all the glory. Whoo, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it this week. Politics is in full swing. We're moving and shaking. Got a big program lined up for you. And uh, we're going to get right into it. We're covering equity versus equality on the program today, this week. And we're talking Bill Maher and Bernie Sanders in regards to equity versus equality. We're going to dive into that. Sexualizing children. That's going to be, I don't think that's going to be a topic you'd think the direction it's going to take, but it might. We'll see. And uh, you'll just have to stay tuned to find out what that's going to be about. What can't, why can't you say someone is old? Hmm. We're going to dive in. Michelle Obama update. Ooh, I told you things are moving and shaking. Ooh, I want to spill the beans on that one, but we're going to wait. We're going to wait to find out what that's all about. Michael Moore and abortion pills. Hmm. What is up with that one? Airplane near misses and train derailments continue. We're going to look at that. Airbnb baby fentanyl death. Hmm, That's not a good thing. But it's happening. It has happened. Senator John Fetterman updates. I got the juicy deets for you on that one. Stay tuned. New cities wanting to form and break away from their current cities. Ooh, I'm telling you. The dynamic and the pendulum is swinging in this nation. So buckle up. Teenage binge drinking and the dangers of it. Oh, this we're we're gonna get into a funny one here, a little bit of a funny one. Naked female burglar shot in the leg. Anybody getting shots not really funny, but if you really think about it and you look at it in a different perspective, it can make you laugh. And we'll finish off the program, as always, with the send off, the feel good story of the week. Coming right at you live. Well, not live, but you know what I mean. Anyways. You can tell I'm fired up. I'm ready to do this thing. So let's get right into it. Welcome aboard. Let's talk equity versus equality on the program this week. So let's let's just dive right into it because it's just one of those things. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things. So the first thing we're going to look at, equity versus equality. So what what is it? Equality, let me tell you, let me define equality right quick for you. Equality is designed to challenge power, and equity is designed to protect power. America is a prime example of a nation founded upon equality. Great Britain, on the other hand, before America seceded from it and broke away, was founded upon or believed upon equity, and that's why America broke away. So this move to equity today in America is absolutely tragic and not very good in the slightest bit. Equity is the strong hurting the weak and calling it justice. Just take a look what happened during the COVID pandemic. For a prime example, you had the teachers unions, people in positions of power, not wanting to work, not wanting to go to work and do their jobs in the name of quote unquote science. And so who were the ones to suffer? The weak, the children. They couldn't get in the classroom to learn. Their grades were suffering. Everything about them was suffering. Whether it be, I mean, just academically, just take a look. I mean, suicide rates were skyrocketing 100 plus percentage points. And the list goes on and on. Drug overdoses on the rise. Loneliness, depression, all of it on the incline and on a steep, steep way up. In in, and throughout the entirety of the pandemic, and all while teachers' unions and people that can't get fired, even if you try, because they're backed and protected by these teachers' unions, can't go to work and do their job, what they're paid to do. And that is a prime example of quote unquote equity at full force, working to its to its to its fullest extent possible. And again, the weak suffer the most. The children paid the highest price. Look at it; they're way behind. Look at all the statistics coming out of the pandemic, and where t- where the children are in the school systems, and how regress how much they've regressed, um, as far as reading, writing, and arithmetic. Just look at their numbers and so on and so forth. I mean, it's it's clear as day how tragic and bad the pandemic was for this teachers' unions to just shut everything down. When in other countries across the world, they didn't do that to the students and nobody, quote unquote, died in large mass quantities like they predicted would happen here. It didn't happen overseas like they thought it would. And so what was the real benefit of shutting down? Well, it boils down to teachers just didn't want to go to work. They just would rather stay home and do nothing and get paid for it. That's the benefit of going and having a teacher's union. Because they'll back you no matter what, you'll get paid and you'll have to do absolutely nothing or next to it. So it's just absolutely heart-wrenching that the ones that suffered the most throughout that whole ordeal were the children when they need to be learning and they're expected to learn and grow. I mean, I think ultimately parents are responsible for your child's own growth and development and learning. And if you're solely relying upon the public school system and that's not to say that's, you know, that's a good benefit there. I, I get it. But if you're solely relying upon that as, as the means to have your teacher, uh, your students, your, your children learn and grow and develop, and you're not doing any of it yourself at home, well, that's not very good. And that's me putting it mildly, because you should be educating your children in the ways in which they should go. And the Bible says they will not depart from it. So and b- from a biblical standpoint, you should be doing it in a godly way. Because if you allow other people to raise your children, chances are (laughs) it's a very high percentage and high likelihood they're not going to be learning the way, the things you want them to learn. They're going to be learning most likely the opposite. And there'll be some brainwashing and some um, evil and sin being perpetrated and, and put into their brains and ingrained into them, so on and so forth. And you'll look back and go, well, how'd they learn that? Why'd they turn out the way they turned out? Well... You allowed everybody else to raise your own children and to teach your own children, but you didn't do any of it yourself, and that's the result. So you want different results. Well, raise your own children, teach your own kids, and equity is not going to help you out in the slightest bit. So just uh, an FYI for you there. But I do have this one article that I do want to go over real quick. It's uh, Bill Maher quizzing Bernie Sanders on woke equity language. And apparently the senator was unsure of the definition, literally saying, I don't know. So let's just take a look at this article. I'm going to read it for you here. And let's dive in. Senator and avowed socialist Bernie Sanders struggled to explain the difference between equity and equality on HBO's Real Time with Bill Maher Friday night in an exchange that has gone viral online. Mar Press Sanders, author of the book It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism, to give his stance on the debate. Are we confusing equality of opportunity with trying to guarantee equity and outcomes? Mar asked his guests. I think this word equity has come into the language in the last few years. And before that, we didn't hear it a lot. And I think a lot of people hear equity and they hear equality, like it's the same word. But it's not the same word and the same concept Mar explained. So how would you differentiate between equity and equality, he asked Sanders. Well, equality, we talk about, uh, I don't know what the answer to that is, Sanders said to laughter and from the audience. Equality is a quality of opportunity, he added in an attempt to define one of the terms. Marr continued to push Sanders on the exact definition. Equity, I think, is more of a guarantee of outcome, is it not? Marr said, interrupting Sanders. Yeah, I think so, Sanders said. Which side do you come down on, Mar asked Sanders, again pressing him on the issue. Equality, Sanders responded. Radio host Buck Sexton slammed Sanders for the clip Saturday. Quote, Bernie Sanders is an ignorant moron who doesn't understand the foundational tenets of the belief system he's been pushing for 60 years. End quote, he wrote on Twitter. Political commentator Dave Rubin said the senator's flub should end his career. Quote, this should officially end the Bernie Sanders grift, Reuben mused. Quote, it shouldn't end because he's a fraud and anyone with half a brain knew it. It should end because he doesn't know the difference between equity and equality. Then fumbles out that he's for equality, despite his entire socialist progressive exercise built on equity. End quote, Reuben wrote, adding a clown emoji at the end of the tweet. Outkick fan- founder Clay Travis praised Sanders for defending equality over equity on Mar's popular show. Quote, Bernie Sanders said last night with Bill Mar that he favors equality over equity. He will now be burned at the Democrat stake, but good for him. He's right. End quote. Exactly. However, Travis argued that the exchange between Marr and Sanders proved another point. Quote, he also didn't even know what equity was, which is perfect. So many of these social media Democrat talking points are such woke- Bull hockey that even their own politicians aren't familiar with end quote Sanders has also come under fierce criticism after it was revealed that tickets for his show criticizing capitalism huh, get this would cost his fans ninety five dollars so I hate capitalism Bernie Sanders says but I'm going to charge you to see how much I hate capitalism ninety five dollars to see me hate on capitalism what a joke rep Austin Scott of Georgia an Republican from Georgia told Fox News Digital that, quote, Sanders is the ultimate capitalist, end quote. Uh, uh, this is just a prime example of equity in its fullest extent. And then he doesn't even know how to define equity versus equality. And he says he's for equality, which is good because everybody should be for equality and against equity to its fullest extent. So, yeah, I agree with Clay Travis. He'll be burned at the Democrat stake. Absolutely. Absolutely. He probably already is. And then, oh, I hate capitalism. And he's going to criticize capitalism. And then he's going to charge his fans $95 to get in the door to watch him criticize capitalism and tell, and tell the people that just paid $95 to see him how much he hates capitalism. How about you make your event free then? Socialism at work. Don't you love socialism? Make everything you are free. Matter of fact, I'll take it a step further. Why don't you just open up your house, remove all the walls and doors, and let anybody come in and out of your house whenever they please, sleep in your bed, eat your food, go through your fridge, drive your vehicles, so on and so forth. Because isn't that what socialism truly is? That would be you showing how much you hate capitalism. Right, Bernie Sanders? I think so. So why lock your front door? Why have bodyguards that have AR-15s and AK-47s defending you and making sure that you're not attacked or anything like that. That's what's laughable about these politicians. They're anti-gun, anti-capitalism, but yet they're the first ones to make a buck off of you, and they're the first ones to have bodyguards that have weapons, and yet they want to take all your weapons away, and you're a law-abiding citizen. So, the whole thing, the whole premise, it's a joke. You could tell they're a fake, they're a fraud when you... It's like I say a thousand times over. Watch, don't pay attention to what they say. Watch what they do and how they act because that says all you need to know about who they are as a person. Ignore what they say, watch what they do. That's it. It's as simple as that. And this is proving that point true even more. I'm going to charge you $95 to show you how much I hate capitalism. I hate capitalism but $95 for you and $95 for you to get in the door to see me hate capitalism. It's a joke. It's a complete and utter farce and joke. And it's a joke that you should be very sick and tired of being a part of, of listening to, of having anything to do with, because it's just laughable at this point. Like, really, come on, wake up, smell the roses here. It's, it's, it's a joke. So, what, what is all this about sexualizing children today? It's, you got your story time, transvestite story time hour in libraries and drag shows for children and mut- mutilation of children, but their body parts and giving them hysterectomies and cutting off their breasts and so on and so forth, all in the name of what? Gender affirming care. Oh, it's really affirming. That's laughable. Not affirming when you're cutting off underaged kids' breasts and making sure they can't have children by giving them hysterectomies all in the name of making a buck. It's capitalism at its finest. And that's actually the worst form of capitalism. There's some forms of capitalism that are ungodly. That's one of them. Capitalism in and of itself isn't evil, but people can take anything good and turn it into evil. That's proven true right here in this particular instance. It's absolutely boring and appalling that you would do this to innocent children and i mean i could go on and on and on about that for millenniums but what we're talking about in specific realms of sexualizing children here is this jared from subway there's a new documentary out on coming out on the uh, id network and it's about it's called jared from subway catching a monster and uh, apparently these two women that were underage and had relationships with, I don't know if they're sexual or anything like that. So don't read into the word relationship too much. But they had relationships with this Jared Fogle guy who was the spokesperson, if you don't already know. He was the spokesperson for Subway, lost over 200 pounds while he was in college eating Subway sandwiches. They made him a spokesperson. He was a multimillionaire, if not a billionaire. I think he's just a millionaire, multimillionaire. But anyways, he was a big pop- popularity rose from nothing to, you know, being this big kind of celebrity-like persona in the, in the realm of Subway sandwiches. I, I mean, I remember him growing up very vividly. He was on all the commercials and so on and so forth. Very well-known, well re- well-respected at the time. Guy, well, come to find out, we're going to dive into this article here that's going to prove that this guy was not a very good guy at all. So let's just get into the article here. It says, Jared Fogel's victims call ex-Subway pitchman monster. They speak out in a doc about pedophile, a puppet master. Hannah Parrott and Christian Showalter had no idea that Jared Fogle was a, quote, bad guy, end quote, until after his arrest. The women are the stepdaughters of Russell Taylor, the former executive of the disgraced Subway Sandwich Spokesman's Charity. Both men were convicted of sex crimes involving the sisters. Quote, I think it was after the arrest when I started becoming more educated on sexual abuse, child pornography, pedophilia, Parrott told Fox News Digital. Quote, that is when I started to view Jared as a monster. He's a monster. We were manipulated into believing that things were normal, even up until the point when they got arrested. We didn't understand what was happening. For the first time, the siblings are speaking out about Fogle in a three-part docuseries premiering Monday night titled Jared from Subway, Catching a Monster. Fogle, a former family friend, was a pitchman for the fast food franchise after shedding more than 200 pounds as a college student in part by eating the chain sandwiches. Fogle, now 45, was sentenced in 2015 to more than 15 years in federal prison for possession or distribution of child pornography and traveling across state lines to have sex with a minor. The docuseries features never-before-heard interviews with investigators and whistleblowers who detailed how they took down the child predator who lurked behind a charming persona. Fogle declined to be interviewed for the series. Quote, our thoughts continue to go out to all of those who were victimized by Mr. Fogle, end quote, a, spokesman, a spokesperson for Subway told Fox News Digital in a statement. Quote, his behavior and conduct were reprehensible. When we heard of Mr. Fogel's behavior, we took immediate action and he has not been associated with the company in any way since his arrest, end quote. Quote, for a long time, Christian and I were silenced not only by our mom, but by other family members who were too worried about what other people would think. End quote, Parrott said. We wanted to bring light to a situation like this. A huge motivator for me to speak out was to bring all of this to the surface and give other survivors trying to find their own voices the strength and courage to speak up. And helping other people helps me heal. The more I tell my story, the more healed I become. The siblings met Fogel sometime in 2011 through Taylor, who was married to their mother, Angela Baldwin. At the time, the women were in their early teens. Quote, my initial impression of Jared was he was a cool person. End quote, Showalter recalled. He was a celebrity. I'm from a very small town, so meeting someone like that, who is also Russell's best friend, was just very cool. That's the only way I could say it. It was just very neat knowing somebody of that popularity. Jared was the puppet master, Parrot said, and Russell was the puppet. And of course, to string that down the line, Christian and I also became puppets. You had the puppet master controlling this puppet who also had two other little puppets that are being controlled. Jared was the head honcho of this whole situation. Taylor was the executive director of Jared, of the Jared Foundation, a nonprofit that Fogle started to raise awareness and money to fight childhood obesity, according to the siblings. Taylor and Fogle would text each other about them and their friends. Quote, Russell sent Jared a photo of one of my best friends, said Showalter. Jared was asking, who is that? What's her name? They started making comments about her physique, sexual comments. Russell showed me these texts and said, Jared is interested in your friend. And even before this, Russell would make jokes, or at least I thought they were jokes, about our bodies and the way we looked. When I heard and saw those text messages, that's when I had a moment where I realized, maybe this is serious. Maybe they aren't joking. Showalter says she reached out to her mother, however. She said the matriarch scoffed at her concerns, insisting the men were only joking. Quote, she would say, that's just their humor, says Showalter. She downplayed the situation. Russell wanted me to tell my friend about it, and I did. And her reaction, she was just dumbfounded. She was like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And honestly, seeing her reaction is what really sunk in for me. Like, this is not normal. It was in 2014 when an investigation into Fogle, Taylor, and Baldwin was launched. An acquaintance reached out to Indiana State Police, stating that Taylor had offered to send child pornography. In 2015, federal authorities raided Fogle, taylor and baldwin's homes in indiana at the time the restaurant chain expressed shock and concern over the raid according to prosecutors the couple shared with fogel videos and photos of minors that were captured by hidden cameras that taylor installed in their home police also found child sexual abuse material in the property the victims were ages 9 to 16 when the crimes occurred parrot and Schoalter identified themselves as two of those minors Taylor and Baldwin had also distributed images to others. When Russell was arrested, I was just really confused, said Parrott. I didn't understand what was going on. Our mother told me that Russell was arrested, but she wouldn't tell me why. She made me look it up on the internet. I was so confused because I was so young. I couldn't fathom what child pornography was. Showalter said she struggled to realize that she was secretly recorded at home. We didn't know about the cameras, she said. Parrott said the revelation eventually led her down a dark path quote i am a recovering drug addict she said for a very long time i was engaging in risky in risky sexual behavior i was engaging in the misuse and abuse of drugs and alcohol the whole situation had a negative effect on me i started spiraling into nowhere really fast i started getting in trouble it wasn't until i lost my dad in 2021 that i wanted to make a change i wanted to be better not only for myself but for my family I participated in a lot of recovery meetings and self-help meetings in my town, and it has helped me so much. Every time I speak up about it, it's another chain broken off from my past. I think the only way we dealt with this was not letting go of each other, Showalter said. I leaned on my sister. I wish I would have been more aware of what was happening, where I could have maybe saved us. I know it's not our fault, but it was really difficult dealing with that. We can only protect each other so much. We were completely exposed. Our wound was open. People were putting salt, vinegar, and alcohol all on top of it. And it's burning. It's on fire. But I knew the healing process would happen and the wound would eventually close. I think it's starting to get there. In 2021, Taylor pleaded guilty to 24 counts of producing child sexual abuse material. He was sentenced in 2022 to 27 years in prison. Baldwin was convicted of two counts of production of child sexual abuse material, One count of conspiracy to produce child sexual abuse material and one count of possession of child sexual abuse material. She was sentenced to 33 years in prison. The sisters have not spoken to their mother. My mom has never admitted that she had any fault in the situation, said Parrot. She still, even to this day, acts as if she was a victim and tries to paint the picture that she was coerced into doing the things that she did. However, the evidence shows that she initiated some, if not most, of the events that took place. I think she is extremely manipulative. She silenced us for a long time because I think deep down she knew her role. She's just sorry she got caught. If she really loved her children, if she really loved us, if she had any kind of apologetic bone in her body, she would not have put us through that trial, Parrot added. Today, the women say they love life and no longer feel as if they're living in the dark. I let my trauma define who I was, said Parrott, and that's not a way to live. I let it dictate my decisions, and it completely changed my behavior, my personality, my everything in between. I didn't want to live that way anymore. I'm sober, I'm clean now, and it's freeing. The women said their story is a warning to others that this can happen to anyone. This is not just about celebrities, said Showalter. It's not just Jared Fogle. It's not just Jeffrey Epstein. These are not just people in Hollywood. These are your aunts, uncles, fathers, mothers, siblings, friends, neighbors. These are everyday people who are exploiting young children. And if you had asked me then, I wouldn't have known this was happening. I was just sleepwalking through life. But today, I am awake and aware. And just for reference, to end off the article, if you or someone you know is suffering from abuse, please contact the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 800-656-4673. There's a good plug for you in regards to that, because it's just tragic. You don't want anyone to deal or suffer with that in any ways, shapes, and forms. It's tragic. It's not something anyone should ever have to go through. And it's just sad that these children, and it's not just Jared Fogle or his organization or those two two sisters' mothers and the other guy that was involved in this whole thing that Jared and that lady knew. It's not just that. It's teachers in schools exploiting children, underage children, by having sexual conversations with them that they're, no, that they're not a privy to. The parents don't know about it, and they're doing it behind parents' backs, and they're having sex talks and uh, conversations about uh, LGBTQ plus issues and just stuff that's not okay. These conversations should be happening in the home environment between the parents and the child, and that's about where it should end. And when the parents feel that the child's ready to have those conversations, if they're to be had at all, then that's the decision of the parent to make and not be blindsided or have these conversations or things happen behind the backs of the parents. It's sick. It's beyond twisted and dark at its deepest core level. It's just not, it should not be happening in our country. It should not be happening in our country and in the world. It just should not children are to be not not ever to be exploited or to be sexualized this is understood even in the prison environment people that go to jail for child pornography and charges like that for raping of anything to do with min- minors usually get shanked they usually get dealt with very severely because even people in prison understand that you don't sexualize children you, you children are off limits. You don't touch them. You don't deal with them in a very sexual or ungodly fashion. You leave them alone because they're off limits. They're impressionable. They're young. Their minds are being molded and you can't, you shouldn't ever want anyone or you yourself to take advantage of that or to manipulate them in any ways, shapes, and forms, especially when it comes to a sexualized form or way. It's dark. And it just should not be happening. But unfortunately, stories like this Jared Fogle story and these two innocent girls that had, like they said, they had no idea. They thought everything was normal. And that's the reality of young children. They get so accustomed to what's going on, they just think it's normal. And it's absolute, absolutely not normal at all. It's evil to its fullest extent. And it's absolutely ungodly. And if not dealt with here on earth, they're, you know, you're going to have to answer to God for it. So... Either way, you're going to have to deal with the piper, the, pay the piper at some point. So might as well just not do it now here on earth and live a good godly life. Like leave children alone. They're innocent. Don't sexualize them. Don't cut off their body parts in the name of gender affirming care just so you can make a buck. And then now it's coming out more and more that the drugs and the, the hormone treatments and all this stuff they're giving these young innocent children are causing all kinds of horrific side effects. And the surgeries are irreversible. And then it comes out years later after they get these surgeries, they come out and they want to detransition. And it's a lot, in a lot of ways, it's too little too late. And then they're turning around trying to sue these people that did this to them in the first place. Because it's like, well, why didn't you have my back? Why didn't you talk me out of this? Why didn't you talk some sense into me? And that's the job of a parent. That's the job of a doctor, of a psychiatrist. Of a psychologist, not to go along with it, but to talk them off the cliff, to speak truth to them, not your truth or their truth, but the truth. So, you know, wake up, realize what's going on here, and uh, let's get a handle on this thing. What do you say to that? Do you ever wonder what it'd be like to be able to listen to each and every episode seamlessly and without the interruption of ads and sponsorships? Well, We've got some great news for you today. We've listened and are now doing something about it for you. Say hello to ad-free and sponsorship-free listening and many more exclusive benefits when you become a Crusader Plus today. To find out more about how you can become a Crusader Plus today, go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. Once on the website, click on the link No Truth Politics Plus under the No Truth Politics category. Follow No Truth and myself, Mr. Misunderstood, on all major social media platforms by going to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. And once on the website, click on Social Media. Become a Crusader Insider for free today by going to our website, links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. And once you're on the website, fill out your full name and email address in the proper fields at the bottom of the page and hit submit. And you'll officially be a Crusader Insider today, gaining you access to insider information all the latest and greatest new things happening within our podcast franchise and companies, all the updates, promotions, offers, and much, much more. Why is it some kind of forbidden sin to say someone's old? Like, it's like this harsh thing that's like taboo to say it. You're a big, bad, evil person to say somebody's old or too old to be doing thus and such and so on and so forth. I mean, I'll put in the caveat that if you have the mental acuity and acumen, and you're still all there upstairs, you know, the mall's open and people are in there shopping kind of thing, then uh, it's a different story. But let's take a look in the case of Mr. President Joe Biden. You're getting on 80. You know, I think he is 80. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. But let's say he gets reelected. God forbid that happens. He'd be 82 years old if he won re-election and would be 86 at the end of a second term. Okay. I don't want to beat the guy up. You know, I don't, I feel bad for him genuinely do because I think his wife, what, he, what she's doing to him is absolutely appalling and should be, she should be ashamed of herself and disgusted with herself for putting him in the position that she's putting him in by allowing him to run and run a country when he's completely unaware of what's even going on. He He doesn't have the mental acuity to do it. And we, everybody knows it. It's just, you know, stating the obvious and having the, the you know the stones to just say what what everybody's thinking kind of thing. It's like yeah he's eighty years old and he doesn't have it. He's the mall's open but ain't nobody in there shopping. And you know you don't like to beat the guy up or say this or that. It's it's just you, uh, at some point you got to speak truth. And so why is it such a hard thing to say? Hey, uh, maybe he's too old to be running uh, running the country. Maybe he doesn't have it together mentally. To do what he's doing which clearly he doesn't just go look at like five sound bites and i mean talking recent sound bites where he's just fumbling through he has no idea what he's talking about he's re- totally reading off a teleprompter and he can't even do that with any kind of intelligence and so then a story comes out how he just had a cancerous lesion uh, removed successfully so i mean that really doesn't have too much to do with age but at the end of the day the guy's falling apart And there's no way on earth he should even consider running for a second term, which I think that he's not going to. I just think they're going to push him out some way, somehow, because it's just for what? He's not fit to do it. So why put him through it? It just doesn't make sense. It's like you're torturing the poor guy. Just let him go right off into the sunset, and live the rest of his life in Delaware, wherever he chooses to go. And it's just sad. But this whole thing leads me into my next topic, which is Michelle Obama. It's looking like she's wanting to, uh, considering a run. I'm hearing, I'm seeing a lot in the news about her uh, potential for a run for 2024 president. Oh, it's coming more and more. I think I told you this a couple of weeks back about her considering making a run for it. So we shall see how this thing turns out. But there's an article I wanted to uh, go over with you. In regards to this very thing. So let's just dive into it. Michelle Obama for POTUS in 2024? Question mark. Democrats say Michelle Obama has the it factor. That could maybe beat Donald Trump in 2024. While Democratic leaders are publicly rallying behind Joe Biden to be their guy for the 2024 presidential election. That's a joke. We all know that's a farce. Behind the scenes, Democrats are still mulling the best leader for the party who could win a standoff against former President Donald Trump in 2024. Former White House and Pentagon official Douglas McKinnon said, if not Biden or Vice President Kamala Harris, ain't nobody going to put her in there. Absolutely not. Nobody in the Democratic Party wants Kamala Harris. Nobody. Democrats could look to a past superstar to create a more viable ticket. Among the names names of possible contenders, former First Lady Michelle Obama's name was floated ahead of the last Democratic presidential primary. Although she has repeatedly denied any interest in seeking office, at 59, and with her it factor, as McKinnon labels it, she could emerge as a top candidate and Democrats could look to push her to run. She has previously denied any desire to seek candidacy. I pray that stays the same. According to a recent political article, Biden faces doubt from some high-level Democrats who may only support the president because they fear what a Bidenless ticket could look like. Oh, he can't run. I'm telling you, I just said it. He's got no, nothing there. He ain't, I just don't see it happening. I just don't see it happening. High-level Democrats are rallying to President Biden's re-election, not because they think it's in the best interest of the country to have an 82-year-old start a second term, but because they fear the potential alternative, the nomination of Kamala Harris and election of Donald Trump. In 2020, Biden and Vice President Harris defeated Trump when they received more votes than any other presidential ticket in U.S. history. Yeah, we all know that aint Ill- that's illegitimate. But just three years later, Biden has an approval rating in the 40s and numerous verbal slip-ups have caused headaches for the White House press team. It's like, okay, he got more votes than Obama? And the dude got voted in as president twice? And Biden gets more votes than him? Yeah, I don't think so. According to the political report, a senator at the National Governors Association meeting in February went as far as to question whether Biden had the stamina, duh, he doesn't, it's clear, for the presidential campaign season. Biden won his initial election during the travel-restricted COVID pandemic where he spent much of his campaign from his basement. He didn't even get out. He never got out. Well, I can't say never, but he barely got out of the house. He ran his pretty much the entirety of his campaign from his, ha- from his basement. And yet he still got more votes than Obama did twice. I doubt it. I just, sorry. Hashtag stolen. At the same NGA winter meeting, a congressman said Harris wasn't an option. Well, of course not. Political reported. Other candidates could include those who previously won the dem- Democratic presidential nomination, such as Hillary Clinton, yuck, John Kerry, yuck, or Al Gore, yuck. All three of those disgust me. Setting up another rematch between Clinton and Trump, which he would win. The hypothetical candidates, unless it was stolen, however, fail to address the concerns of some voters who want a younger president, as Clinton is 75, Kerry is 79, and Al Gore is 74. Democrats could also look to past candidates that generated public support, but ultimately fell short of securing the nomination. Senators Elizabeth Warren, who's a compulsive liar, proven, provedly so, D. Massachusetts, Bernie Sanders, from an independent from Vermont, Amy Klobuchar, D. Minnesota, and Cory Booker, D. New Jersey, each ran in 2020 and could potentially step up for another presidential bid. Warren is 73, Sanders 81. Yeah, I doubt he'll run. That's just not going to happen. The dude's older than dirt. Why? Klobuchar, while Klobuchar is 62 and Booker is 53. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg, who's an absolute joke, also ran and lost in 2020, but joined the Biden administration and has continued to grow his political resume over the last three years. He is 41. Beto O'Rourke, who most recently lost a statewide race in Texas, is 50. He's a joke. He's lost like five elections in a row. He just gotta he, he ought to stay in hiding with his tail tucked between his legs because he's just a loser all the way around. Politically speaking, he's a loser. He can't win an election. And thank God he can't. Governors Gavin Newsom of California, 55, and Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. Oof, that would be ugly to have her win. That would just be not good at all. 51 could also look to make the moves for their respective state offices to the White House. Any of these candidates, McKinnon notes, would have a trek strategically to explain why Democrats moved away from Biden or Harris. Are the chances of a superstar from the past becoming the 2024 nominee a pipe dream? Most likely, but with the river of political denial threatening to wash away the Democrats' chances in 2024, what else is a party to do, he asked. Currently, self-help author and spiritual guru Marianne Williamson is the only candidate to begin a long-shot challenge to Biden, and Democrats are blasting her for it. I don't know why. We are upset about this country. We're worried about this country, Williamson told a crowd on Saturday when she officially launched, launched her campaign. It is our job to create a vision of justice and love that is so powerful that it will override the forces of hatred and injustice and fear. Williamson 70 also ran in 2020. I've run for president before. I am not naive about these forces, which have no intention of allowing anyone into this conversation who does not align with their predetermined agenda. She added, "I understand that in their mind, in their mind, only people who previously have been entrenched in the car that brought us into this, into this ditch can possibly be considered qualified to bring us out of it." According to a Fox News poll last month, 37% of Democratic primary voters want to keep Biden as their primary's nominee. Yeah, that's a real good show of show of confidence in him. 37%? That's a low number, folks, while 53% said they would like someone else to run. Yeah. I would agree with that. That's just it, it's just like you can't have the guy run. The the whole point of the story here is you can't have him run. It's a complete and utter joke. He cannot, it's just not electable. He wasn't electable the first time. They had to steal it. And he's not electable now. It's just not in the cards. So admit it, admit defeat, move on, and uh, be done with it. Michael Moore and abortion pills. Apparently, in shocking developments, the FDA greenlights abortion pills to be sold at all USA pharmacies. That is an absolute abomination to the founding foundation of our country and the founders would be rolling over in their graves had they found out that their all their work would be caught up into allowing abortion, abortion pills to be sold at pharmacies in our country. Absolutely shameful, beyond shameful, just a disgrace. And Michael Moore apparently is up in arms because he demands a nationwide boycott of Walgreens for not selling the abortion pill, claiming bigotry and misogyny. Filmmaker Michael Moore has called for a nationwide boycott of Walgreens after the pharmacy chain announced it would not sell abortion pills in 20 states. In February, 20 Republican state attorneys general wrote to Walgreens Corporation threatening legal action if Walgreens provides the abortion pill, Mifepristone, I'm probably butchering that, to consumers in their pharmacies across the U.S. On Thursday, Walgreens shifted its plan sharing that it will not disperse the drug in their states and is not planning to ship the drug to consumers either. They shouldn't sell it, period. It should be done away with. It should be killed off the pill. It's disgusting. Following the announcement, Moore on his website urged readers to boycott Walgreens, characterizing them as a pharmacy chain that, quote, stands with anti-abortion extremists against the rights of women, end quote. Give me a break. That guy's a joke. Quote, this decision by Walgreens to further cement women's status as second-class citizens must be met forcefully by each and every one of us. Every day of our silence since that last Thursday is another day of you and I enabling this bigotry and misogyny, end quote, Michael Moore wrote. Quote, please join with me and others in a nationwide boycott of Walgreens. They must reverse their decision immediately, end quote. Sounds like a crying little schoolgirl. The boycott included pictures of the letters sent by state attorneys general to Walgreens, as well as CVS, Rite Aid, Walmart, Costco, and Kroger. Moore claimed their aggressive tactics were based on the Comstock Act of 1873, which outlawed sending obscene items through the mail. Yes, preventing pregnancy was considered obscene, because anything that gives women even a smidgen of control in their lives was clearly obscene, Moore added. It was illegal for them to own property, to have their own bank account, to get a loan, and goodness to gracious to decide if they want to be pregnant or not. Obscene, he says. (laughs) You're obscene. Moore concluded his boycott call for urging his audience to make their voice heard and contact local reproductive rights groups. Yeah, well. I guess the only benefit of him having a boycott like that is no more Michael Moore's getting reproduced. We don't need any more of him around. That's a joke. Laugh it up. That's hilarious. That's a great one. Come on. Laugh it up. Although you really shouldn't want this drug on the market. It's just, it's it's an abomination to our country. You don't want abortions, period. End of discussion. It's murder. That's what it is. Call it what it is. Call it the truth. Murder. Let Walgreens know you have stopped shopping there. Let the other pharmaceutical chains know you'll do the same to them if they follow Walgreens' lead. Pick at your local Walgreens. Tell the White House to stand strong and let your members of Congress know this is one of your top issues in deciding how you will vote next year. End quote, Moore said. Man, sounds like a snail's on a chalkboard. Moore also slammed the Supreme Court for their decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. That was like months ago, dude. You're late to the party. Calling the ruling a, quote, legal whipping of women, end quote. Jeez, that's pretty descriptive. And asserting that the justices based their opinion on the, quote, authoritarian religion, end quote, of Christianity. (laughs) This guy's a joke. Quote, this court's actions have solidified their role as a Taliban, our Church of England, our Spanish Inquisition, We are now forced to fight our way out of this religious ruling where the majority gender in a democracy must shut the bleep up and make that fertilized egg into a baby or else, end quote, he said. Man, this guy cries more than I could ever dream of. Concluding his boycott announcement, Moore included the mailing address for Walgreens Consumer Relations and added a phone number for people to contact their local local representatives. Hashtag, or uh, quote, boycott, march, picket. Civilly disobey, write postcards, make calls, donate, be relentless, end quote. More added. This article goes on, but I'm done with it. The bottom line here is more's is a crybaby, and you should um, be more upset over the fact that pharmacies and the FDA just allowed pharmacies to sell pills that will kill babies. That's what you should really be picketing about, marching about, calling your represent- representatives about. That's. The real crying shame here, not the fact that Walgreens said they're not going to sell it in 20 states, but the fact that they are going to sell it in 30 states. That should disgust you, Michael Moore. That should disgust you. Just, I mean, that's just calling a spade a spade. That's speaking hashtag truth to power because the truth shall set you free, Mr. Moore. Man, that guy's a joke. He's just a joke. He is a joke. Airplane near misses and train derailments continue. Now, apparently, President Biden is trying to appoint a guy or appointed a guy. He has to get through the Senate confirmation hearings to lead the FAA, who has absolutely no idea how to answer the most basic questions about the aviation industry and airplanes in general. I mean, I listened to some audio clips of this guy getting grilled in his confirmation hearings by Senate Republicans, and he had absolutely kept, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. How do you fly a plane? I don't know. I mean, that that wasn't one of the questions, but basically it's like, come on, man. What are you doing? Like, you want this guy to run the FAA. He has absolutely no idea what an airplane can do or how to do the most basic things in an aircraft. It's like, no, these people need to have general qualifications. They need to have aviation degrees, something that actually makes them qualified to hold a position of leading the FAA. that's This is the reason why. It's the equity agenda at full work. It's causing planes to have near misses almost once or twice a week, it seems like, anymore. I'm constantly watching the news and hearing about near misses of planes almost colliding head-on or side- T-boning each other on runways. And they're going, what, seven 800 miles an hour? I mean, it's dead on impact. And people will die if this doesn't get put to bed. If the equity agenda doesn't die in the sense of it not being put in, put in place and people not hi- getting hired based on the color of their skin or the gender in which they affirm or, con- or say they are, if this doesn't stop, people will die. Lives will be destroyed, literally, because these planes are almost hitting each other because you're hiring people based on the color of their skin. And not based on the fact that they're actually qualified to drive or to operate the aircraft. And you're seeing it in the news. You're seeing it in the training. I'm hearing stories of people getting trained in the aircraft thing. And they're having to uh, get the trainings and they're having to do them over and over again multiple times. Because they're not grasping the basic concepts of how to fly. Or when they get their hours in, they're not doing a good enough job and they have to redo certain aspects of it. It's absolutely shocking, and it's making me not want to fly anytime soon, because I don't want to be a statistic, of the a casualty of the equity agenda at full at its full force, at working to the fullest extent. It's not anything that I want to have anything to do with at all, not now, not ever. It should be put to bed. It should be done away with. We should be looking for equality, not equity. Equity is an utter joke that you should not want anything to do with in your aviation industry. And then now I'm hearing another train derails in Ohio from the same train company that had the other one derail and put a poison cloud into the air. That's still making people suffer to this day. And you're having all this happen more and more each and every day. Train derailments. It's like you're hearing at least biweekly, weekly of a train derailing and people being affected by these train derailments and chemicals being exposed. I heard one the other day about propane being involved and coal being on board of the train that derailed and so on and so forth. This stuff needs to be put to bed. It needs to stop. And it takes people standing up, calling their local representatives, running for office, and, and uh, actually doing it based on merit. Let's get back to a meritocracy, a merit-based system. You're qualified. It doesn't matter the color of your skin or the gender that you claim to be. It matters, are you qualified? Did you do the training? Did you get the degree that it requires to do this job? And if you didn't, you're not getting a job. Sorry, next. It's not gonna happen. And that's not, that shouldn't be taboo. It shouldn't be something that makes people get upset. Airbnb, a baby, so there's an Airbnb and a baby f- dies of fentanyl at an Airbnb. So basically it says the fentanyl overdose from what parents are suspecting was a drug-fueled party from previous, previous renters through. This, this should alarm you and should make you very, very upset to say the very least. It says a family is devastated after their 19-month-year-old daughter died from an accidental fentanyl poisoning at a Florida Airbnb. Attorney Thomas Scolaro, who is representing the family in its lawsuit over the tragedy, explained what happened. Quote, they had all plans for a nice, simple family vacation. Everything seemed fine. They put their baby down for a nap after she played in the house for a little bit and then go to wake her up a few hours later and they were met with a lifeless body. It's just every parent's absolute worst nightmare. End quote. According to Scolaro, the family did not know that their baby died from fentanyl poisoning until the autopsy was conducted showing a fatal dose of the drug. That's part of the message that the family really wants to get out. You don't know who was there before you. You don't know what they were doing there before you. So wipe down the surfaces, take that extra step, those extra measures, because you don't want to find yourself in the situation that they have, urged Scalero. Liddy and Boris Lavener were vacationing in Wellington near West Palm Beach with their children and found their daughter, Honora in her bed just hours after their arrival. The family told the Washington Post that her face was blue with white foam coming from her lips and that when paramedics arrived after calling 911, it was too little to save the, the, the toddler. Her death was deemed to be the result of exposure to fentanyl, according to reports by the Palm Beach County Medical Examiner. An independent to- toxicology report confirmed it. It's unclear how the girl came into contact with fentanyl at the rent- rental, as police were unable to identify the source. No criminal charges have been filed. So, th- these tragedies are happening more and more frequently and they're completely and utterly avoidable close the border stop doing business with china stop allowing them to produce lethal drugs and letting the cartels be their middleman as to how they get into our country because we have open borders these drugs are manufactured in china shipped off to mexico and then the drug cartels import them into our country because we have wide open borders so they could smuggle them in here at will. And 107,000 people died of fentanyl overdoses last year alone, or the year before, until was 2021. And I'm sure the number's probably higher this year, unfortunately. And what's being done about it? I don't hear the president talking about this epidemic in our country one bit. And it ought to be talked about more and more each and every day, because it's an absolute tragedy what's going on here. And it should be discussed. It should be at the front page of every newspaper because it's an important issue that matters to the fabric of our country as far as making sure that lives matter, that all lives matter, especially the lives of innocent children who are dying because of these drugs. I mean, I'm hearing the other day about somebody dying because they take a Percocet, what they think is a Percocet, turns out to be fentanyl, and they die. They're getting poisoned. Now, my question would be, why are you taking uh A drug you're not prescribed, even if it is what you think it's supposed to be Percocets, you shouldn't be taking drugs that you weren't prescribed. So that's a piece of it. But the bigger piece is fentanyl is getting masked in many different forms, rainbow colored pills and this, that and the other. And they're lacing other drugs with it. And it's killing people left, right and center because it's an extremely lethal drug. So close the borders. It's really not that hard. This problem can be resolved in a relatively quick fashion. And educate as parents, parents need to educate their children, which I know they are doing, but maybe some aren't, need to be educating their children on the effects of drugs and not doing drugs, not taking those unnecessary risks that can be life-threatening. And so, you know, you just need to step up to the plate and uh, take care of business on every level here. It's really as simple as that. And it's tragic that these things keep happening. So Senator John Fetterman, we got an update on John Fetterman here. So I just want to give you the little quick update on Fetterman's health. Says Senator John Fetterman, D of Pennsylvania, will, will, quote, be back soon, end quote. An official from his office said Monday, as his hospital stay for clinical depression continues into its third week, quote, productive morning with Senator Fetterman, Walter Reed, discussing the rail safety legislation, Farm Bill and Other Senate Business, end quote. Fetterman's Chief of Staff, Adam Gentelson wrote in a Monday tweet, including pictures of the senator working from a table at the hospital. Quote, John is well on his way to recovery and wanted me to say how grateful he is for all the well wishes. He's laser focused on Pennsylvania and will be back soon, Gentelson added. Fetterman checked himself into Walter Reed National Military Medical Center on the evening of February 15th to be treated for clinical depression, his office said at the time. Less than a week after checking out following a three-day stay for feelings of lightheadedness, last week Fetterman's communications director, Joe Cavello provided an update on the senator's health saying he was doing well, was working with doctors, and remains on the path to recovery. Fetterman's hospitalization comes after a rough year in which the 53-year-old suffered a stroke just ahead of the May Democratic Senate primary election and spent much of the summer off the campaign trail recovering. He said the stroke nearly killed him and underwent surgery to implant a pacemaker with a defibrillator to manage two heart conditions, arterial, I'm butchering this stuff, fibrillation and cardiomyopathy. Fetterman was sworn into the Senate in January after defeating Republican candidate Dr. Mehmet Oz. This is another situation where it's like the same thing like I was talking about earlier with uh, Joe Biden. The wife of John Fetterman should be absolutely ashamed of herself for allowing this man to run and then to win a Senate election when he's clearly his priority should be his health. He shouldn't be running for office. It can legitimately kill him. And I'm not wishing that upon anybody, but I'm stating facts. He's not mentally able to perform the duties of the job and performing the duties of the job could take its toll on him in such a mental way that it could have the potential to kill him and to make him depressed. And it's tragic and she should be completely and utterly disgusted and ashamed of herself and disgusted with herself for allowing him to be put in this position. It's, It's appalling. So there's apparently some new cities that are wanting to form to break away from the current cities that they are a part of, and they're wanting to do it in mass quantities. I'm hearing two of them in Georgia. So apparently, Mableton, Georgia could soon become one of America's newest cities. But even before its first election, some residents already want to split. A mayoral candidate told Fox News. Residents of unincorporated southern Cobb County near Atlanta voted in November to form the city of Mableton, giving it its own mayor and city council after an election later this month. But some residents at the time didn't understand the ballot question's phrasing and are now pushing to be excluded before the local government is even formed. On the November election, we had it on the ballot for forming the city of Mableton, and it did pass by a slim margin, Aaron Carmen a longtime resident and mayoral candidate for the city, told Fox News. There was just a lot of confusion around the ballot and the way it was worded. The ballot question asked if residents supported the creation of Mableton, but it didn't indicate which unincorporated parts of Cobb County would be included in the new city. That election was stolen. All the people who voted yes but didn't know what the heck they were voting for, a woman yelled at a town hall discussing the new city in February. Some residents called for an election do-over to vote on cityhood again. It didn't say you are a part of the proposed boundaries of the city of Mableton. Do you support this, yes or no, Carmen, who faces three mayoral challengers, told Fox News. It could have been a lot simpler and clearer in the communication to the residents. There's people that have no idea that they were even included in the city of Mableton because of their addresses being neighboring cities, he said. Cobb County will continue to provide some services for the new city, though Mableton, population 42,000, will be responsible for others. Cityhood supporters wanted to ensure their tax dollars were spent locally and rather than throughout Cobb County, according to Carmen. Opponents, may not, meanwhile, were happy with the services the county provided and were concerned they'd face higher taxes to bankroll new town infrastructure. Another neighborhood a few miles away, Buckhead, recently attempted to secede from Atlanta over crime and safety concerns. Residents pushed for a private police force to protect the neighborhood. The Georgia Senate rejected the neighborhood's proposal for cityhood last week. What a tragedy that is. I was hoping that they would actually succeed. That was the other city in Georgia. There was two of them, I told you. So that was the other one. And I was hoping that one would succeed more than this other one that I'm just hearing about. So things are moving and shaking. It's a really a happening. And, uh, you know, that's democracy at its fullest extent. And that's what you want to see. You know, people push. They want to say, you know what? I, I don't like the way I'm being represented. I want something different. I want change. And they ought to be able to say, hey, you know what? We want change. We want to succeed. And it ought to be able to be, ha- be something that can happen. And in America, it can happen. And it does happen. And that's proof positive that it actually does happen and can happen. And will continue to. When you push for what you want. So let's move on to teenage binge drinking and the dangers of it. So let's just dive right into that because there are dangers of teenage binge drinking. One in every six adults participates in binge drinking and 25% do so at least once a week. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC Yet, it's most common among young adults ages 18 to 24, leading to emergency situations such as the one reported on Saturday at the University of Massachusetts. More than 30 college students were taken to the hospital after they participated in a TikTok-fueled binge drinking trend. As part of the trend, students prepare and drink blackout rage gallons, or Borgs, which consist of a mixture of alcohol, electrolytes, flavoring, and water. As, a Monday Borg videos on TikTok, as of Monday, Borg videos on TikTok had amassed 81.5 million views and counting. Man, people have too much time on their hands when they're doing stupid stuff like this. With over 3,900 people under 21 years old dying each year due to excessive alcohol consumption, binge drinking is a very real danger for young people. Dr. Aaron, Eric Collins, a New York City-based addiction psychiatrist, and chief medical officer at recoveryeducation.com said that while binge drinking is dangerous for everyone, the behavioral effects can be more dangerous for young people. Yeah, because their brains aren't fully formed. The brains of teens and young adults have not fully developed, making them more vulnerable to impulsive, emotionally driven behaviors that are the most common causes of alcohol-related injuries and death. Also, young people may not have developed significant tolerance to drinking, making them more vulnerable to alcohol's toxic effects at any blood, blood alcohol concentration. He said, what is binge drinking? Binge drinking is a pattern of drinking alcohol that brings blood alcohol concentration, BAC, to 0.08, 0.08 grams of alcohol per decil- deciliter or higher. For females, this equals to consuming four or more drinks in about two hours. For a male, it would be five or more drinks. It's just stupid. Why would you do this? I don't understand it. People have way too much time on their hands. They need to do something better with their lives if they're doing this nonsense. It's like, come on, man. And naked female burglar is shot in the leg. Let's dive into this one. A Virginia homeowner shot a naked woman in the leg after she allegedly broke into his home and attacked him with a frying pan. Oh my gosh, this just gets funnier. According to authorities, Carroll County Sheriff's Office deputies initially responded to reports of a shooting on Loafer's Rest Road in Austinsville on February 26th, and located Paula Michelle Locklear, 35, with a gunshot wound to the leg. During the course of the investigations, deputies determined that the shooting was the result of a breaking and entering. The sheriff's office said in a Sunday Facebook post, the homeowner who heard a noise at the rear area of the home went to the kitchen and observed an unclothed female who is unknown to the homeowner coming into the rear door at which time she began hitting the homeowner with a cast iron fry, frying pad in the head. <laughs> the victim was ele- eventually able to kick Locklear out of his home and secure his door. Locklear then allegedly went on the homeowner's back porch and began turning all the electrical breakers off to the home and started beating on the kitchen window, the sheriff's office said. She yelled at the victim to get out of her house or she was going to kill him and began beating on the victim's door, at which point He discharged a firearm and shot Locklear in the leg, according to authorities. Virginia officials charged Locklear with felony breaking and entering while armed. Assault, battery and property damage. The 35 year old suspect is being held without bond pending her arraignment in the Carroll County General District Court. The homeowner is not facing any charges after the Carroll County Commonwealth Attorney Roger Brooks determined that he was acting in self-defense. Wow! Give applause to somewhere in the country that actually still upholds self-defense laws. Wow. Praise God for that. The woman should be charged and the guy that shot her should not. She broke into his home. He has a right to defend his home and his property and himself and his family and whatever else. And she was a clear threat. So, yep. Every right to do what he did. All right. Wrapping it up with the send-off, the feel-good story of the week. We're going to be talking about Kurt Warner, maybe the Will Smith slap, almost the one year anniversary of it. Maybe we'll be talking about Timu. Maybe we'll be talking about being a proud American. Oh, the feel good story of the week is an Atlanta police officer who recounts providing CPR to a cyclist who collapsed in the road. I'm praying the whole time. A Georgia police officer is being hailed a hero after he revived a cyclist who collapsed on the road while he was on patrol in Southwest Atlanta last Saturday. Atlanta police officer Jaleel Tullock told the news he was having a regular, normal day when he stopped at a stop sign at the intersection of Soundtown Road and Central Villa Drive. While stopped, Officer Tullock motioned for a man on a bike to cross in front of his car. Seconds later, the man collapsed on the road, noticing the man was struggling to breathe and not moving. Tullock said he could immediately tell this was a life-or-death situation, and he jumped out of his car. You could see in his face. He was like, do not let me die. Just do everything you can for me, Tulloch said. Body cam footage showed the officer springing into action. He's not breathing. Tulloch is heard asking a second cyclist while approaching the scene. The person responded with, I don't think so. Tulloch immediately started chest compressions and started talking to the man who appeared to be fading in and out of consciousness. Come on, stay. Come on. You all right? The officer told the news. He could tell the man was scared, so he kept calling out his name. So the man knew he was still there. As I'm doing it, I'm praying the whole time, Tulloch said. Eventually, the man regained consciousness while Tulloch was issuing compressions. The Atlanta Fire Department and Grady EMS arrived shortly after to take over and transport the man to the hospital. It's something that came natural to me. I just went to what I remember in my training, Tulloch said. I would love for someone to do that for my family if they were in need. Grady EMS called Tullock a hero and even sent him a letter of accommodation for his quick thinking. But the officer said he was just doing his job. This is just something I do, and I love what I do. I'll do it every time, Tullock said. Atlanta police said the cyclist who has only been identified as Greg is recovering. We'd like to also thank and acknowledge Officer Tullock for his life-saving efforts that day, as well as wish the cyclist, a path to wellness during his recovery. What a fantastic story! The guy, all he's trying to do is be nice, be a nice officer, a nice gentleman. That's why we need to support our local law enforcement because the good majority of them are good officers trying to do the best they can but the tools are given. And He's just trying to be a good Samaritan, a good officer, and let the guy go in front of his car, give him, give him the r- right of way, and uh, notices he drops right off the bike and getting ready to die, and step springs into action and saves his life that's what life is all about and that's just another instance of how god is on the move even when you don't think he is and with that i bid you adieu thank you so much for listening to this episode No Truth Politics is created, recorded, edited, and produced by our production company, Pearly Gates USA, which is owned and operated by our parent company, The Big Time USA. Make sure that you follow the podcast and turn notifications on by hitting the icon so that you get alerted about every new episode as soon as it's released. Do you hate listening to ads and sponsorships? Well, say hello to ad free and sponsorship free listening and more exclusive benefits when you become a Crusader Plus today. To find out more about how you can become a Crusader Plus today, please go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. And once you're on the website, click on the link No Truth Politics Plus. Under the No Truth Politics category. To make a one time financial gift, you can go to our website at links.thebigtimeusa.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes or the episode description. And once you're on the website, click on support. With your financial support, you make all of this possible. So thank you. Well, the band aid has officially been ripped off. So it's time to ask yourself one final question. Has the truth set you free so that you can be free indeed? For myself, Mr. Misunderstood, and the rest of our team here at Pearly Gates USA and the Big Time USA, thank you so much for your loyal listening. And we look forward to you listening again next episode.